This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk away from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Pataudry for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round, and get fired in with our exclusive discounts. Head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pound of Foster's, a £4 for a pint of Moretti or Dark Fruits, or £5 for a pint of Fierce or a Daiquiri any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds. Red slight of foot there. Welcome along to episode 113 of the ABZ Football Podcast. As always, I'm Gary Scott and joining me this week, it is Gavin J. Baxter. Gav, how's it going? Like any Aberdeen fan, just raring for the opportunity to take a little walk down memory lane. Ought to be packing for my 10-day sojourn in Norway, but I'm here on my Sunday recording a podcast with you beautiful people. Indeed. In tribute to the good folks at Siberia this week, it only felt right to start the show with this. I have a song, attention everyone, that I want to sing that I wrote especially for this occasion when I was up there among the flames. Ready? Ryan started the fire! It was always burning since the world's been turning! Ryan started the fire! It was always burning since everybody was turning! Yes, indeed. In a week that saw Juve shitting the bed so much about the prospect of facing the Dons in Europe that they've voluntarily withdrawn from UEFA competitions this season that saw hearts unveil an absolutely honking away kit is another busy one here on the ABZFPs. We bring you the latest news from AB24 this week, including we'll take a look at the arrival of Ross Duhan and the departure of Joe Lewis. And then after the break, it's part one of our deep dive into the last season that Aberdeen made it into the group stages of Europe. As we look back at the UEFA Cup campaign of the 2007-2008 season, ably assisted by some of those who played in those games, including Barry Nicholson, Chris Clark, and Lee Miller. But first, Gav, the Dons wrapped up their pre-season camp in Portugal. Were you aware they were in Portugal? I had heard. All appears to have gone well. No injuries. There may very well now be a very disappointed demograph within the AFC support now that won't have the same level of Angus McDonald pictures to thirst over, I think. It's always uh, yeah, a source of sadness when you can't see Angus McDonald, you know, pre-running, post-running, water, covering himself in there. By the way, Angus McDonald's got some horrendous tattoos. He really does. He really does. So um, I've gone in full. I've gone in two footed on Ryan Kent in the past, and Angus has one similar that isn't as cringe, but it's not that far off. <laughs> Looks as though the trip's gone well. Players have certainly been running, worked hard. It's fair to say. Double sessions throughout the course of the trip. They've got plenty of ball work on the go as well. Um, that's enough about Angus McDonald now. Steve Agnew certainly looked like a man who was delighted at getting to put these players to the mill, didn't he? Yeah, there was one video I saw where they're just, yeah, they're doing their their physical work, um, doing sprints and whatnot. And I think their players are just like, 
they start off in their tops and by then they're, they're shirtless and they're all saying how hot it is and you just see go back to Steve Agnew and he's just looking a smile a smile of sadism I would dare say <laughs> on par with like the man who like invented golf <laughs> um, this week also saw the return of Dante Povara and his mullet into the fold after his loan spell with Charleston Battery came to an end probably fair to say Gav last chance to loan for Dante now would you imagine yeah what this will be his last year in his contract I think I think so yeah I think so I mean it looks like he's by all accounts from what you can kind of gather from Charleston Battery that he's had a successful loan spell um, you're still thinking about levels as far as where he's been playing versus what he's going to be expected as an Aberdeen player. Um, yeah, when he when he was taking part last year, I struggled to see a future in Scotland for Dante. Um, and then when he got put on loan, I kind of figured that was like the first part of him leaving uh, Aberdeen to go back to America. But you know, he's back now. Uh, we do need we need numbers. We need strength and depth in the areas of the park that he can play in. So we'll see. I mean, but I would definitely agree that it's his last chance to make an impression. I guess I think we touched on it. Did we touch on it a couple of weeks ago with uh, Tom Watt? I think it was uh, Tom and Jamie. You know, on one hand, you've got to say it's encouraging, isn't it, that Povara wanted to come back to Aberdeen again. It'd been very easy for him to decide, you know what, I just want to stay in the States now. I've kind of come over, I've had this experience. Um, I could probably play USL Championship and maybe even get a move to MLS again based on the kind of the form he's shown since he's been at Charleston. I guess in one hand, it's encouraging he wants to come back again to Aberdeen, um, kind of come back away from the States, back from where he'd be closer to his friends and family, etc. So that that's truly an encouraging sign of nothing else about certainly where he views where the best place for him to be playing his football is anyway, if nothing else. Yeah, it's a guy that's not shirking the challenge, is it? Um, he obviously came over, had a lot of interest from other places in Europe, but also, you know, has a a goal in mind, I think, to to make a name for himself in football in Europe. Um, it's probably easier for him to do that at Aberdeen versus being in the kind of goldfish bowl of the MLS or even the USL. Um, so yeah, it's that's it shows a bit of character about him for sure. Um, uh, but we'll just see if he can back that with a little bit more of a, a little bit more talent and ability that we'd hoped for when we signed him uh, yeah. eighteen months ago. Yeah, certainly might be. It'd be interesting to hear Barry Robson views him as a kind of player. Again, for for a guy like Povara, I think that having a coach like Robson would probably be about as good as you could probably ask for, potentially at this kind of stage in his career, because he'll have come through, I imagine, a very technically sound grounding through the U.S. college system. Um, we've seen this with you know players we've had come up to Scotland through the you know the under twenty three academy system in England, where technically on the ball they're probably all very good. And they do the technical things right, but it's more about the hard yards and the, the physicality more than anything that Scottish football brings to the table. And having a coach there who recognises that, who was that kind of player as well, is going to help somebody like Dante Povara, surely, isn't it? I think for me, the interesting part is when we signed Dante, the impression I got from what we saw and what we heard was that he was a very much a box-to-box goal-scoring type of midfielder. And then ever since he's been at Aberdeen, he's been very much a defensive midfielder. Um, so I do wonder if perhaps, you know, Goodwin and Glass saw something in him that they could mould into being that kind of player, perhaps because of his physicality. And if Robson will just, you know, maybe take the chains off and say, that's what you were good at. That's maybe what we looked at and thought there's potential there. So let's see. We've got Leighton Clarkson. We've got Shinny. As of the uh, time of recording, Ramadan is still here. You'll have Connor Bannon as well. A player like that who can get into the opponent's box and score goals. That'd be a real asset. 
Yeah, absolutely. You just touched on Ilba Ramadani there, Ramadani, and Duke Jew back to line up, link up sorry, with the side this week after they return from their extended time off following their international duty. Um, did it not just warm the heart to see Duke on holiday in Mexico resplendent in his actual Aberdeen shirt? What a guy. What a guy. He's probably just cheap as fuck, but still. <laughs> but still, uh, yeah, he got a love player representing like that. Absolutely. Before we get into the full-blown first-team news, Gav, it, it would appear that Leeds United have won out to secure the services of our youth player, Lewis Pirie. 16-year-old Pirie is going to leave on a deal which will see an initial fee of about £150,000 with add-ons available to take the value to two hundred grand, with a sell-on fee or you know, for sell-on percentage available as well. Pirie's yet to make a first-team appearance for Aberdeen, but high hopes were had were had for him. One of the big issues now for clubs like Aberdeen is going to be, you know, big Premier League, former Premier League sides down south who can easily afford to chuck, in their view, relative pennies at us for young players. This is not the first player to be departing the academy system within Scotland, not just Aberdeen, down south for what is the face of it, Buttons. Yeah, I was just going to say, this isn't exactly a new problem for us to face up to. I mean, I think back to, like, Sir Jack Grimmer, um, previously and uh, this has obviously happened to other clubs like you know with scott allen at dundee united going to west brom after playing a handful of games even even like the calvin ramsey you know they come and play effectively half a season worth of football and then they'll just get hoovered up into the academies down south or abroad um lewis Perry going to leeds i mean daniel fark is the manager there now so experience would say that it's a possibility for him because farka does have faith in youth players but is he going to really with the kind of budget he might have a lead tonight, going to look at a 16-year-old from Scotland and think that's going to be a key player for him. I don't know. Um, you hope for their sake that something good will come of this. But I think my concern would be, I under, and I understand why they make these moves, but my concern would be like, you know, you're going into an academy where you're one of who knows how many players like that age Leeds United will sign this summer. Um, and then they just kind of, you know, just go into a conveyor belt. And before you know it, Things just don't happen for them. So um, yeah, it's 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 disappointing because it did sound like you had uh, real hope, real potential for us. But uh, yeah, it's the nature of the beast, I'm afraid. Yeah, it's one of these. I'm kind of surprised. I know there was a lot of interest in Alfie Babbage um, last January, and this was, I think, something the club were concerned about as well. It was a similar sort of thing happened with Babbage. Babbage has clearly made the decision that he sees his short-term future being better placed at, at Aberdeen, where he will hopefully get game time this season again as part of the first team squad and kind of backing himself a little bit there, doesn't he, to get a chance in the first team at Aberdeen with a view then that he can maybe go to a team down south or abroad later on being an established first team player rather than just going straight into the academy system. Um, it's certainly one of two avenues that's available to a lot of these kids right now. But yeah, it's a, it's a challenge. Like you say, it's not something new, but it's certainly something that's being heightened because of the kind of Brexit rules and everything. It's, a, it's, it's harder just now for English clubs to bring in young foreign talent, so they certainly appear to be viewing the Scottish academy system as being one that's ripe for the pickings. And if nothing else, I guess it does show that maybe the academy system in Scotland is working. You know, I think we are starting to develop some real good talent through the academies that, that teams down south are certainly looking at at this sort of age group. Age group. So that, if nothing else, is, is surely a positive. Like I say, it's just a bit disappointing we lose these guys now for what is relative pennies um, in the short term. But moving on to that, onto actual first team football on the transfer front, Gav, this week, goalkeeper Ross Duhan. Hang on, that's not Connor Hazard, Davy. <laughs> Became Barry Robson's sixth summer signing on Thursday. 25-year-old Scott. 
He's effectively Connor Hazard before Connor Hazard was Connor Hazard, signing a two-year deal following his departure from EFL League Two side Forest Green Rovers after their relegation last campaign. Uh, just your initial thoughts on the news uh, breaking late in the week about the acquisition of Ross Duhan. Um, there's only so much excitement that I can garner over signing a new second-choice goalkeeper. Will we deep dive him anyway? Because somebody asked us to do it. Okay, let's do it. I can't remember who you were on Twitter, but somebody asked if we were going to dedicate a full mini episode to this, and I had to stifle my chuckling a little bit at it because I thought, with no disrespect to Ross Duhan, we're not going to sit down and dedicate a full mini mini episode to, as Gavin suggests, a, a backup goalkeeper. But anyway, let's have a look at Ross Duhan, a native of Clyde Bank, coming through the Celtic youth setup at every level, failing to make any first-team appearances for Celtic. Though loans at Greenock Morton, Air United, Ross County, and a very, very short spell at Dundee United. I think he was on the bench, or did he play? I can't remember. When United beat us 3-0 in the Scottish Cup in Stephen Glass's first handful of games um, at Pataudry, then made a loan move to Trammy at the start of the 2021-2022 season before making that move permanent at the start of last season. Now, certainly his signing is going to help us to bolster our, our list B requirements for complying with UEFA's homegrown player rule with Jack McKenzie, Graeme Shinney, Connor Barron, Ryan Duncan, Alfie Babbage, Nicky Devlin, and presumably somebody like Nick Jackman will make up our eight, at least at this moment in time. Cap to every Scottish national team group from under 16s right the way through to under 21s, where he had 13 caps, the last of those coming in November 2020, a 1-0 defeat to Greece, where he played alongside ex-Dons alumni, Lewis Ferguson, Connor McLennan, Ross McCrory, and Fraser Hornby. Remember Fraser, Fraser Hornby? Hornby, who has recently completed a transfer to Germany. Yeah, he's got a move to, uh, I want to say Darmstadt. That sounds Fr- familiar, yeah. I, I For some reason, that appeared on our Twitter feed, and I was like, I know that guy, but I don't know why I know that guy. Yeah, and I've, if I'm right in thinking, I think Darmstadt are... Bundesliga this season. I yeah, think they're, are they? Yeah, he has somehow managed to get himself a move to the Bundesliga. And I'm pretty sure it was a three-year deal. Well, let's hope they use him a little better than we did. What an agent he must have. That's all I'm going to say. Anyway, back to Ross Duhan. Made 26 appearances in all competitions from the start of last season for Tranmere, conceding 24 goals in that time as Tranmere eventually finished mid-table in League 2. That was 11 clean sheets from 25 league appearances. Duhan then made the move to Forest Green Rovers in January. Stepping up to League One effectively, although Forest Greenovers were already at that point languishing at the bottom of the table, went on to make 19 appearances for them, conceded 35 goals in that time with just two clean sheets in the league. 1.86 metres tall, so he's just over six foot, so it's about 10 centimetres shorter than Kelly, so a good three, four inches. That doesn't seem the tallest for a goalkeeper, but never mind. Um, a decent level of experience about him, 148 appearances across his career to date. Clearly, clearly coming in as a number two. Um, it's fair to say the reaction online from Forest Green Rovers fans and even some Tramier fans was less than complimentary. But then I guess we shouldn't forget that Kel Roos attracted some stick from Derby fans. We saw Swindon fans who rated Harry McCurdy um, and then were slating Angus McDonald. So perhaps we shouldn't read too much into that right now. Yeah, I would say so. I think that's fair. I think as well, it's maybe more pertinent when you you have to look at players and you have to look at their seasons in context, don't you? If you look at Forest Green Rovers last season, they only won six games out of 46 in the league. They conceded 89 goals in the process. Duhan averaged 1.84 goals conceded per game. Forest, Green's Ro- Forest Green Rovers record 
when he didn't play for comparison was an average of two goals conceded per game. So it's not exactly prime AC Milan style defending that he's sitting behind, but he would appear to be showing a marginal improvement against the average from when he didn't play. I'm truly staggered by the statistics that Duncan Ferguson did not have the tactical <laughs> acumen to pull it, pull the nose up on on Forest Green Rover season. Get get their season back on track. Track. Um, I guess the slightly more worrying stats from Ethos sit in the expected goals conceded side of things. So Duhan had an expected goals on target conceded figure of twenty two point one zero. So that's the number of goals he would have been expected to concede given the quality of on-target shots he faced. So 22.10 is the amount he should have conceded. He actually conceded 32 from open play, which means he conceded 9.9 goals more than you would have expected him to. Now, bearing in mind, he only played 41% of the available minutes for Forest Green Rovers, but that goals prevented metric of minus 9.9 places him fifth worst in League One last season, despite only playing 41% of the available times. So that's a little concerning from my perspective. Um, but Gav, I, I guess just your, your general thoughts about the acquisition of Ross Duhan. Do you have any? Um, well, what I was going to say is that he does at least have a decent level of first-team experience at his age, what you say, 148 yeah, first-team appearances. Yeah. Um, in clubs like you know, in League Two in England, in League One, in the Championship in Scotland, he's not an absolute rookie that would be throwing into the sticks if we if we needed to do so. But um, yeah, he doesn't. It's not the kind of signing a la Thomas Cherney where it makes me think, okay, well, if we need to put him in, I like I actually quite like him as a goalkeeper, so I've got no issues there. Um, it's it's one of them. Like it's he's he's the backup goalkeeper to Kelrus, all being well. Ross doing what play a single minute of football the entire season. So um I guess yeah, I'm kind of neither here nor there. One thing I would say maybe is that it does kind of concern me that we're going to another season and there's no real hint that there's any thought process to giving one of our young goalkeepers a run. Um I don't think I can't think of ever having a goalkeeper at Aberdeen that's come through the system look to make an impact in the in the first team squad. So we're talking about you know how good the youth, the youth academy is. It seems like the goalkeeping department is one that we kind of lacking in a little bit. Mm. Yeah, that's that's possibly fair, I guess. Blessing Alumie, obviously away. He signed for Peter Head, I think, didn't he? Um, recently. So yeah, that that's a fair point, Gav. It, it has been a while since we brought through a goalkeeper through the system who's kind of gone on to play first team football. I'm thinking, I mean, he's have like Mark Pete and Ryan Essen and these guys, Derek Stilly, <clears throat> Michael Watt. Before that, it's not it's not been stellar. No, no, no. And it is just maybe it's just a thing that we've had Joe Lewis and Kelders the last couple of years. But yeah, when I saw him in comparison with Kelders, thought, yeah, he does look a bit small. Mm. Kelders is a giant of a man. But Kelders is a giant, and so is Joe Lewis. So that's yeah. maybe we've been given off our views have been skewed over goalkeepers, I think. Um hey, I mean, welcome to the club, Ross. Um <laughs> if, welcome if, to the club. <laughs> if called upon, hopefully you can prove some people wrong. But truthfully, I kind of hope you don't play a single minute all season. Yeah, there we go. The news of the acquisition of Duhan, though, then meant that we had the breaking of the inevitable news on Friday as to the departure from Aberdeen Football Club of one Joe Lewis. Lewis departing after a seven-year stint in the northeast after moving to Scotland from Cardiff City. Now, this one's been on the cards since January, where I think there had been an agreement reached for Joe 
to leave before then the injury to Kel Roos put the brakes on that one in the short term. An instant hit on his arrival at Tawdry in the 2016-2017 season. Joe going on to make 271 appearances for the Dons. That places him fourth on the all-time goalkeeper appearances list behind Bobby Clark, Jim Layton and Jamie Langfield. What is it about goalkeepers and us that have the initials J and L? Anyway, a popular player in the dressing room and around the club as well as having a strong relationship with the supporters. Joe was named club captain in July 2019, a role he continued with until the summer of 2022 when Jim Goodwin named Anthony Stewart as his captain. There was, of course, that slightly odd moment where we had Scott Brown as the bunny ears on-field captain, but Joe retained club captain status. I guess, Gav, that run in particular from the 2016 to 2020 seasons was remarkable from Lewis. Many standout performances, perhaps the most memorable that jumps out, the performance at Murrayfield as he single-handedly kept Hearts at being a nil-nil draw. I think back to top drawer saves from Scott Sinclair at Pataudry. There was a fantastic save at Burnley in the UEFA Cup second, uh, first, excuse me, uh, qualifying round second leg game. 94 clean sheets in 271 competitive appearances in red. Finishes Aberdeen career with runners-up medals in both the Scottish Cup and then two in the League Cup. Looks like it's likely now he's going to step away from the playing side of the game, move back down south and into a role that will be involved in football that ties in with the qualifications he's recently acquired. Gav, your thoughts on, on Joe Lewis? I was surprised when I saw him in some of the preseason footage because I kind of just figured that he'd be away uh, regardless. I like the fact that I think it says something about Joe's character that he's probably wasted for us to get someone in the door before he calls time on his, uh, his time at Aberdeen. Um, Joe Lewis, I mean, listen, up until... Danny Ward, all I'd really known in the goals for Aberdeen was players that varied from on their day very good to guys who you just pondered as to how they could have a career in professional sports, never mind football. Um, and then we lost Danny Ward. I thought, like, well, that's that was our great goalkeeper for another generation. And we've got Scott Brown and Adam Collin back in. And we'll see what the hell we come up with in the summer. Um, when we brought Joe Lewis in. And I think he'd had a hard time of it. You know, he'd made a yeah. big move from Peterborough to Cardiff and never really worked out. And I think he had various loan spells. Um, he was at Blackpool, if I remember rightly, in the championship yeah. when they were on a terrible state. So I don't, I'm not sure what my expectations were. And then he just came up. And one of the first things he did, of course, is Matabor when the ball rolls over his foot into the back of the net and we lose over there. And you start to think, well, what? That's... That is less than an ideal way to start your career as a goalkeeper at a new club. But after that, he just went from strength to strength. Um, you've brought up a number of games there. I was going to say the game with Burnley at Turf Moor. He was incredible that night. Uh, it's There's too many saves to, to mention. Um, for four years, I think he was the best goalkeeper in Scotland by, by a distance. Just a figure of real consistency and excellence. At Aberdeen, and what's also nice about him is that he's a guy from Norwich, and he has made Aberdeen his his club in the time that he's been here. Uh, really good guy. Got a chance to speak to him for a little bit at the at the sponsors' dinner. Um, kind of knowing that in all likelihood he'll be leaving Aberdeen, so wished him well, and he did say that he was always going to be an Aberdeen fan going forward. Um, hopefully one day we can see him down the road. Um, I think I would just thank him for all his service. Yeah, it's um, in a way it's desperately sad, isn't it, that his time at Aberdeen kind of comes to an end a little bit like this. His his final appearances for the first team came as our season last year under Jim Goodwin threatened to implode like a half-baked idea for a submarine visit to the Titanic. A 5-0 defeat at Hearts. Fucking Darvo. 
a 6-0 defeat at Hibs and then a final appearance at home against St Mirren that ended in a 3-1 defeat. For such a great servant to the club, for, as you say, Gav, for somebody who, you know, whose performances, particularly for that kind of three-season spell, 2016 through to the end of the 2020 campaign, was remarkably consistent on the whole. As you say, an argument to be said that certainly for a couple of those seasons, at the very least, the best goalkeeper in the country by quite some distance. Perhaps it's not the way that you'd want to remember his final time at Aberdeen, is, is those four games in particular. No, and I, it saddens me a little bit. There's probably a demographic who are going to remember him purely for the last two, three seasons, because uh, that's really, really not fair to him. Uh, you bring up some of those performances, uh, results in the final, in his final games. I mean, listen, you could put prime Gigi Buffon behind that defence and not much is changing. So... Um, yeah, I mean, there was a decline in his standards for sure. But, I mean, we hammered it to death in his first season. We showed that he was just a victim of really freak circumstances a lot of the time, as in, like, you know, faces off one shot, can't do anything about it, and he looks like a horrendous goalkeeper because of it. Yeah, that, that first season of Stephen Glass, his data was atrocious, but it was one of those where it's like all about the context. Unless you were watching a game, you wouldn't have seen what had actually happened in those games. And that's, again, it's... Yeah, it's as you say, there's going to be a group of Aberdeen fans out there who are just going to remember that, and that's a, that's a real shame, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, he should he should he should be remembered as someone yeah who brought a lot to the team, uh, brought a lot to the club. You know, he was club captain, obviously for for a number of years. Uh, that whole Scott Brown thing was fucking weird. Um, it was weird. Just a continuation. Well, I say continuation, like almost the beginning of a shit show. Um, as far as the way that we conduct ourselves as a club. In my humble opinion, but nevertheless, um, yeah, Joe Lewis has been great for Aberdeen. There's no, there's no argument about it. And yeah, for me, yeah, the best goalkeeper I've seen at Aberdeen. So Graham couldn't be here tonight by asking him to just send us a quick message and just see what his thoughts were. So Graham's view was um, disappointed to see him go. Last couple of seasons were not a vintage seasons for him, but on the whole, he's been excellent and the best goalkeeper he's seen since he's gone to watch Aberdeen. Danny Ward wasn't there long enough to merit that. Um, status and Joe has been so consistent in the main, which I think is probably fair. I mean, in my time, I think probably second only to Theo Snelders, I think. Um, Jim Layton, I never saw Jim in his pomp, and when he when Jim came back again, he was good, but he clearly wasn't at the level he'd been prior, uh, you know, in the 80s. For me, it's probably between Joe Lewis and Peter Kerr, who were tied quite closely together, but then Joe Lewis's consistency over those initial four years, I think, shades uh, Peter Kier for me. We'll wait and see. I guess what happens. Maybe if maybe if Joe comes back again, he's a, as an engaging a guest as both Theo and Peter were. Then maybe you never know. He might shoot up into the top, the top bracket at that point. But yeah, two hundred seventy-one appearances. I think, like you say, Gav, it's just time to wish Joe Lewis all the very best in his future career, in his future endeavors. Mm-hmm. Other than that, Don's returning from Portugal and hitting action for the first time in pre-season this coming weekend. We've got a double header first at Turra on Friday night, followed by a friendly at the Brock on Saturday. So we're likely to see a bunch of mixed teams here. Are you, Gav, starting to get a little bit wary about the lack of numbers that we've still got in the door? It's 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 now, we're recording this on Sunday the 9th. We're just four weeks away now from our opening game in the league. There was a couple of times when I saw squad photos uh, we were in Portugal and I was like, we still need numbers. And we're four weeks to go now. We'll have Duke and Ramadani back this week, but we're still looking a little bit light, it's fair to say. Yeah, I mean, yeah, tomorrow will be the 10th, and then, yeah, you're effectively 
well, I mean, you are, you're a third of the way through July. You would like for the sake of, you know, team bonding and to create strategies and to become familiar with the playing, with a playing strategy for have more in, um, I'd maybe be feel a little bit more calm about the whole situation if I knew that we at least have a first 11 ready to go, but I don't think we even have that. So yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, I know that we're quite a, we're a club that play our, play our cars quite close to our chest when it comes to these things. But the, the lack of even the rumor and innuendo is kind mm. of concerning. All I keep seeing is this boy Teklich who I'm not convinced is even gonna, even an option anymore. So, Well, Teklic has had a new contract offer put in front of him by Verdajan. Um, he scored in a preseason game with him yesterday, which, by the way, you can't read too much at preseason games, obviously. But it's a great goal. I, I will just say that. If you've got a chance, go and check it out. Um, from what I understand, we're still trying to make it happen, but it sounds like it's an extremely complicated deal to get done. Yeah, that's the impression I get as well. And it's just like, how long do you keep going with that? For you then miss out on potential you can keep working and keep working and this doesn't happen and in that time you've lost targets two and three as well um yeah we we need there's a lot of strength and depth that we need it could be worse we could be panicking and trying to sign jamie mcgrath this is very true or that that um levitt boy yeah indeed indeed or um gms yeah so somebody today asking whether we should bring gms back that's a hard no um if if we had like some kind of time machine <laughs> and we could bring back gms from the aberdeen spell consider it maybe um gms post new york post hearts not so much uh, definitely not definitely not right gav i think will that do us for just now i think it shall there's been very little talk about this week yep short and snappy episode i like it indeed so join us after the break for the first part of our deep dive look back at the last time the dawn's reached the group stages of Europe, it is the 2007-2008 season. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. And Siberia Bar and Hotel are pleased to announce the introduction of their new venture, introducing Doe & Co, brand new, fresh handmade donuts coming to you from Belmont Street, Aberdeen, opening in the summer of 2023, just in time for a new season and European nights. Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Now, before we move on to look at part one of that immortal UEFA Cup campaign in 2007-2008, just a quick shout out to those of you who continue to make your contributions to the Beer and Coffee Fund this week, including Scott B. Scotty B. Grant Stephen. Mr. Stephen. Average Robson Enjoyer. Interesting username. Ian Andrew. Ian Andrew. And Inverness Dawn. Up the Inverness Dawns. We see you, we acknowledge you, your bread is appreciated. If you'd like to help keep us fueled in beers or coffees, please head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash ABZ football podcast. The link is in the description. Share us a beer or a coffee. It is much appreciated. What are we up to there, Gav? That was Kofi's thing back in the day. Oh, yeah, yeah. There we go. There we go. Lovely stuff. Anyway, there we go. Let's move on. So here we go. Uh, we decided a few weeks ago because obviously the Dons are heading into the group stages of Europe for the first time since 2007, 2008. What better way 
to get ourselves all psyched up and ready for a return to the continent. Then look back on the last time we made the group stages. It was, of course, that glorious 2007-2008 run in the UEFA Cup. And to do so, we're going to look back across all the games. We're going to get some contributions from guys who played in those games, which will include Barry Nicholson, Chris Clark, and Lee Miller. So, Gav, here we go. Part one of our deep dive. It's the UEFA Cup 2007-2008. So the Dons securing a return to European football for the first time since the 2002-2003 season, courtesy of that third-place finish in the 06-07 SPL Premier League that secured courtesy of the famous 2-0 win over Rangers on the last day of the season goals from Scott Severn and Stevie Lovell on a Sunday afternoon at Pataudry. A summer of transition, Gav, at the club with captain Russell Anderson departing for Sunderland in a deal worth around £1 million. Also departing Jamie Winter, Gary Dempsey and Dyron Dow. Uh, who do you think was the biggest loss? Oh, and uh, for the sake of the culture of the club, definitely Gary Dempsey. <laughs> Incomings that summer included Lee Mayer on a free transfer from Dundee United, Jeffrey DeVisher from De Grafschap, one we had all high hopes for, I think, when he signed up, uh, Jackie McNamara, likewise, Jonathan Smith, remember him, and Sonia Luco joining on loan from Birmingham City, and Derek Young also returning to the club from Partick Thistle on a free transfer. Talk about levels to this game. Yeah, with all due respect to, to Derek and... His contributions to the club, he didn't scream uh, that we're going for it in Europe when we <laughs> signed up Derek Young again on a free transfer. Indeed. And of course, Gav, there was immediate drama not long after the season prior had finished. Jamie Langfield stuck on the transfer list after a bust up with Jimmy Caldwell during Langfield's stag doing Spain. Now that eventually did blow over with Langfield recalled ahead of one of the games we're just about to talk about. But um, I guess coming into this season... Gav, thoughts looking ahead to being back in Europe and then I guess just more generally with how we were looking? Um, there was no doubt about it that losing Russell Anderson was a blow. But I think but I think if I'm trying to be honest and looking back, I think we felt as though it was a move that made sense clearly because it was a good age. Uh, Russell's probably last chance to, to make that move. I think we all felt that he'd definitely earned it. And the previous years, and I think we all maybe a touch of naivety thought Xander Diamond was going to be the logical centre back to come in and basically be the next Russell Anderson. But little did we know that at that point that Xander really depended on Russell to look as good as he did in his early days. Um, and but you know, I felt that we'd retained you know the key part, like the key components of the squad, barring Russell. You know, obviously we still had uh, you know Severin, Barry Nicholson, Jamie Smith. Lee Miller was settling into the club. You felt as though we had a, a good squad. Uh, Shawnee, Aluko, sounded like a very exciting acquisition. Definitely, you know, mixed feelings by that point about Jamie Langfield. If I remember rightly, that was all, that bust up was all to do with uh, us declining him the opportunity to go and speak to Rangers, if I remember rightly. Correct, yeah. And, um, you know, even though he did come back in, I think that kind of, it was a cloud over Jamie Langfield for that entire season. Well, I think that even maybe contributed to him not playing in the semi-final Queen of the South. Derek Suter taking his place. Uh, but yeah, I think I remember feeling positive about where we were as a club at this point. Uh, but yeah, there was no doubt Russell Anders was a huge loss. Scott Severin named as the new club captain after uh, Russell departing, which was the kind of logical choice, I think, for most people. But the, the league campaign getting off to a poor start, a 1-0 defeat at Tannadice in the opening day. Gav, I think you and I can also remember that moment of watching Jeffrey DeVisher in the warm-ups and thinking, 
I'm not entirely sure this guy is going to really make it, but never mind. That was I the. Remember, I don't remember us losing that game. Well, we did. Losers. Who scored? Um, I can't remember. Gav, you're asking me questions now that. I, honestly, all, all I can remember is about that game is because Tanadice is an amazing first day of the season just because we bring a huge support. Everyone's in good spirits. And yeah, Jeffrey had been trailed what, like in January. We were all really excited about his data. You know, this is pre-data as well. We were like, you know, this is originators of the stuff. And yeah, when I saw our lightning fast goal scoring winger turned out to be a bit of a short portly fella. Yeah. Disappointment. Expectations were not met. It was like a regular Instagram versus reality. Uh, David Robertson. Ah, good guy. Yeah. He, he's involved in the Goodwillie thing, isn't he? It was him, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Barry Robson played for Dungeon United that day as well. There you go. And yeah, he was still at United. Yeah. yeah. There, so you there go. we go. Willow Flood, right, Willow Flood sent off in this game, as I recall, actually. He got sent off for uh, two bookings, didn't he? Tackling somebody and then he got done for diving, I think, as I remember. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah. Aye, that did happen. So there you go. Willow Flood. What a cheat. Things. Things that happened. Anyway, that defeated Tanadice. I'm sure Willow Flood would describe it as a bit of a shit game. I think he did, to be fair to him. Um, that one will defeat Tannadice, followed up by a 1-1 draw against Hearts at Pataudry, uh, a 3-1 defeat to Celtic at Pataudry, which was then followed up by a 3-3 draw at Hebs, where we threw away a 3-1 lead in that one. Craig Brewster with a double for Aberdeen that afternoon as well, as I recall. A first home win of the season, uh, sorry, a first win of the season coming against Kilmarnock before another defeat, this time to Motherwell at home by two goals to one minute. We'd only got five points on the board from our opening six league games as we headed into a UEFA Cup first-round tie with Dnipro from Ukraine. Now, obviously at this point, um, all you had to do in Europe was win one round to get into the group stages of the UEFA Cup. But on paper at the time, this couldn't have possibly been much harder a draw for us. Uh, the Ukrainians had thumped Hibs 5-1 in aggregate two seasons prior. They'd come fourth in the Ukrainian Premier League this season prior to that. A tough ask, and with the home leg at Tawdry first, it felt, I think, crucial that we got a win at home, didn't it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. If anything, I thought uh, going over there with a 2-0 lead was crucial. Uh, like you say, they had just they had smashed Hibs a couple of years earlier, and this is a point where we're trading off wins and losses with Hibs routinely. Uh, there wasn't really much to choose between the two teams. I did feel more confident that on our day, Aberdeen were a harder team to score against than Hibs. So I took a little bit of confidence from that. But, I mean, yeah, they were they were a force to be reckoned with at that point in that level. And, I mean, it's only, what, six, seven, eight years later that they finish in the final of what becomes the Europa League against Sevilla. Yeah. So, yeah, this was by no means an easy task. Jamie Langfield recalled for this one, his first game of the season, Aberdeen lining up there with Langfield and goals, a back forward of Michael Hart, Jackie McNamara, Xander uh, Diamond and Andy Constantine with Scott Severin, Derek Young, Barry Nicholson and Chris Clark in the midfield supporting a front two of Jamie Smith and Lee Miller. Crowd of just over 15,000 witnessing what was a, a decent Aberdeen performance, particularly in the first half. Chances going begging for Constantine and Nicholson in that first 45. Dnipro with a couple of opportunities in the second half, well stopped by Lionfield before chances. Also went begging for Clark and Smith. Dnipro, though, with the better of the last 10 minutes. The game-ending goalless, as I remember, that final 10 minutes, Dnipro really did put us under a bit of pressure. We kind of felt a little bit relieved, I think, to get away with a clean sheet after that final 10 minutes, but also disappointed not to have won the game. 
yeah definitely just for the, for the reasons i just mentioned it felt really important we go over there with an advantage uh you now know that we'd seen i, I don't remember this game like having a huge amount of action in it but i, I think you could see that there was quality within neat bro and it felt like it was gonna really a really big ask to go over there and win or make it a score draw to win um the tie here's chris clark just to reflect on the atmosphere at uh, Petodre that evening I remember that was here um, at Petodre for the home game against Dnipro, and it was, uh, yeah, uh, you know, for being a, a nil-nil, it was it was special because yeah. we should have. What I think we were, we were we, I remember I'd, I'd nearly scored that match, and just the, the atmosphere, the ground was full, and it really felt like a, a proper European night, and it was just the buzz was was amazing. And it was kind of the first of those uh, atmospheres, wasn't it, of that of that campaign, Gav, that we saw at home. I think where, and maybe it's the first that we've seen now, you know, which broke broke us, I guess, more into the kind of modern era where home atmospheres at Petodri, in particular in European games, has always been electric. And and Petodri's always, you know, had that reputation of being quite a quiet ground sometimes. But I kind of feel that this run here, in particular, um, it felt like it kind of started that a little bit again, didn't it? The, that idea about how you could generate an atmosphere in the old lady. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a difference under the lights at Petodre. I think that's undeniable. And, you know, maybe when it's January and it's snowing and raining and sideways wind and you're getting beat by hearts 1-0 off a Kevin McKenna goal, <laughs> that maybe stifles the atmosphere a little bit. But when you're in the kind of summer months or you're playing against a different level of opposition that you're not going to play every year, yeah, Petodre comes alive and we've seen it. A number of times since and thankfully we've been able to sort of convert that into the domestic uh domestic football in the last couple of years yeah absolutely and i, and I must admit you know after this game with with Dnipro's home record and to put it into context you know during this season they only lost at home to dinamo kiev and to Shakhtar donetsk after the way they'd battered hibs at home a couple of seasons prior and generally speaking especially this period scottish sides didn't perform well away in europe I was feeling pretty sceptical of, of our chances. Would you have been probably in the same boat, do you think? Yeah, definitely. Given that our form in the league was anything but vintage and going into this game, you know, this is the time where you start to realize that we've really, we've really lost something in Russell Anderson and we've not necessarily replaced it with a matching quality. It was going to be a huge ask, um, just purely the level a team we're playing against and you know there's the complications of the travel and you know what that's going to do to the body going to go to ukraine um it was going to be a big ask for for the players that were going to take to that field that night that said though it seems it sounds as though um there was a level of confidence though in the dressing that we could go to ukraine and, and, and pick up something here's barry nicholson just to to touch on that yeah no i think um I, to be perfectly honest i thought when we started watching uh Dnipro, um, on video, I, like, I, I thought they were a really good team. I thought, like, when we started watching them, I mean, a couple of the lads came and played in England. I mean, um, what's his, was it Billy Annette, Billy Lettenroff? Billy Lettenroff, yeah. That, yeah. That, that Moscow, that might have been Moscow, was it? Or There was one of the Dnipro players anyway, I can't remember his name, but when we started watching yeah. them, it was like, wow, these these are a good side. And I think we were, I think the players were probably dis disappointed after the game as well, thinking we probably needed to score at home. Um, but yeah, once we once we got over there to um, to Dnipro over to Ukraine, I think that was that was the focus for Jimmy. Was like we felt as if we could score and then <laughs> defend the lead, which was 
absolutely what we did because we I think we felt we defended for about seventy five minutes. It was, it was like the Alamo, wasn't it? It was like unbelievable. And just to kind of build on what Barry was saying, Chris Clark echoing um, what Barry had to say about confidence and the side heading to Ukraine as well. We went across there confident. Um, and, you know, we knew we had a lot of fans travelling as well and and made some interesting journeys to get there. And I know it wasn't easy. Um, but for us to to play the match, and we obviously got off to a great start with, with Darren's goal. Now, Sam was in between the Dnipro games. There was another defeat in the league, 3-0 at Ibrox before a 2-0 win over Partick Thistle in the League Cup and then a 2-0 win over Gretna at home in the league. Remember when Gretna were in the top flight of Scottish football? It doesn't even seem like it was that long ago, does it? Let's be honest. I know, man. Gretna, their string of miscreants and <laughs> absolute outsiders from another world in their Subway, Subway sponsored shirts. Yeah, glory days. Indeed, absolutely. The Dons lining up in the Stadium Meteor, what a brilliant name, in Ukraine with Jamie Langfield in goals, Michael Hart, Ricky Foster, Xander Diamond and Andy Constantine at the back, Scott Severin, Barry Nicholson, Derek Young and Chris Clark in the midfield with Jamie Smith tucked in behind Darren Mackey up top, Lee Miller on the bench alongside Lee Mayer, Steve Lovell, Greg Kelly, there's a name for you, Kareem Tuzani, Jeffrey DeVisher and Chris McGuire. And there was a healthy... Aberdeen support who'd managed to make the trip to Dnipropetrovsk not to the easiest of locations to get to is fair to say but here's Lee Miller to explain his absence and why he found himself on the bench that evening yeah I think listen getting into that game like we knew what we're up against they had some quality players real good players yeah. get into it, we're kind of getting blind but to just you know when a player's good see when he manipulates the ball he's passing the ball you're thinking these are playing good football here we are, we're up against it kind of thing I never played in any of the two games either um, I was watching it from the side which is probably harder because you can't do anything you can't affect the game um, so no the boys done tremendously well to get that that result to then obviously kick us on from there I was going to call I mean you're an unused sub in Ukraine mm-hmm. for, the, for the turn leg is that a pure kind of tactical call by the manager there he's wanting legs up the pitch or Probably I. Um, I was stripped off, ready to come on at one point. Um, but Daz Mackey scores a goal and we just defend, absolutely defend with everything we've got. And I guess, Gav, as was perhaps to be expected, the home side out the traps quickly. Langfield having to make a save from Leopa within the opening eight minutes. The dawns still started to grow into the game. And then came the moment that we'd all been waiting for just as the 28th minute mark came around. Foster latching onto a ball down the left-hand side. His cross was inch perfect for a flying Darren Mackey to head home and give the dawns the lead. Foster gets into the box. Chance to cross it in Mackey! Mackey with the header! What a goal that is! Aberdeen take the lead. 27 minutes on the clock. It's Aberdeen 1, Nipro nil. Fair to say, Gav, is this Darren Mackey's finest moment in a red shirt? Um, it's between this and the no-look header against Kilmarnock, isn't it? <laughs> Obviously. Clearly. Which is just pure skills and, you know, where to be at the right time. Uh, yeah, undoubtedly. I mean, let's be honest, it's maybe... It's quite possible it's, Ricky it's, Foster's it's best a, moment. It's a highlight for Ricky Foster, for sure. It's it's great play by him down the left yeah. side. And uh, he delivers a cross that's... Uh, Pretty difficult for Mackie to do anything other than score, but I mean, the fact that it's a diving header makes it just a little bit more special as well. What is it about Aberdeen and diving headers in Europe, eh? Who knows? 
there we go. Somewhat remarkably, managed to hold on until half time with the 1 0 lead. Uh, into that second half, though, the Dons need to go into full blown defensive action as the Ukrainians completely dominated the ball. Lee Mayer on at half time for an injured Jamie Smith. Jamie Langfield, again, this is quite possibly his finest. 90 minutes in an Aberdeen shirt as well. Probably between this and, I guess, well, uh, I say 90 minutes, between this and the penalty shootout in, against Emirates Cali in the League Cup in 2014. But Dnipro with one off the bar from a corner before then, they did finally equalise on 75 minutes. And it's a freak goal um, that we can see here. Andy Constantine's clearance hitting off Vorobay and then spinning into the net past Langfield. An incredibly unlucky goal to concede certainly given the quality of some of the efforts that were raining down the goal before and after because a couple of minutes later Nazarenko rattling the bar from fully 30 yards before Lankfield had to touch another long range effort onto the bar in 87 minutes but the Dons held out that was the longest longest 15 minutes of football I can recall after the Dnipro equalised but we were through on away goals into the group stages this was a horrendous one to watch. We didn't make the trip. I remember uh, Graham and I watching this in the college bar and that last 15 minutes in particular just seemed to last hours. I mean, I I thought the entire second half lasted <laughs> a generation. It was just, it was torturous, man. I mean, I, I remember that they had a centre-back who, I mean, let's, let's be honest, we barely touched the ball at any point. I believe they had a centre-back who anytime he got the ball and he stepped over the halfway line, he would just take a shot and everyone felt like it hit the bar or it made Langfield work. And they were uh, proper, like, what would you call them, like squigglies? Like they were just all yeah. over the place. Yeah, yeah. I'm not even sure that the ball could do that at that point. So that boy had some <laughs> thunder bastard technique on him. Um, the, the definition of a backs-to-the-wall <laughs> performance from... And I mean, I think when you see Lee Mayer come on for Jamie Smith, that is a very industrious Aberdeen team at that point. Uh, there's not much in the way of flair necessarily. Every player in that uh, in that Aberdeen team put in the shift of all shifts um, in their career. But, you know, you think you have to give credit also, like, you know, Xander Diamond and Andrew Costin, especially two still very young defenders, they stood up and they were counted. Um, they looked like a regular Miller and McLeish. And like you say, Jamie Linefield, um, for all the... I think Jamie Linefield has maybe been harshly judged when you look back by a fair section of Aberdeen fans. I know he wasn't by any means great, but let's be honest, he did see off a number of rival goalkeepers for 10 years. And I think this night showed that when it came to just, you know, mostly dealing with shots, he wasn't too bad. He didn't have too many cross balls to deal with here, which probably helped him a little bit. It's probably fair to say. Probably the help, yeah. It wasn't just us, though, that had to suffer the agony of watching this from the sidelines and not be involved. Lee Miller didn't get off the bench for this one. Here's him talking about having to watch this one from the bench. Oh, horrible. Absolutely horrible. Because again, you can't do anything about it. You're just trying to, you're trying to have some sort of influence with encouragement, tacticals, just shouting on to the boys, just hold it together, keep going, keep fighting. Boys are out in their feet. Um, I'm, I'm stretching away at the side of the side of the dugout ready to go on thinking oh, I'll go on and I'll just try and hold the ball I'll try and buy as many fills as I can just take the sting out of the game and then it just fizzled out fizzled out and then we, we were, we're through it's unbelievable and I guess just to emphasise how little we touched the ball in that particularly in that second half uh, a man in the centre of the park who barely got a grip of the game at any point during this uh, 90 minutes was Barry Nicholson let's just see what it felt like for him in this one 
Yeah, that, that's how that's how it felt in the in the pitch. It was just like you were, you were clearing things. We we felt we were defending well, but then you'd look up look up at the big clock, and it was like only a minute had passed. <laughs> it was like, um, but no, it genuinely felt that we were just clearing the ball, resetting our shape, and then defending again for the for about an hour. That's honestly how it felt. Midfield, we were trying like like somebody just pass the ball into midfield and try and get a hold of it a little bit, but it honestly felt we were getting put under pressure, and then we were losing it. So I think that's when it came to just like, right, we just played forward and then we just got our shape again. And, I mean, we came under severe pressure after they scored. I mean, they scored a bit of a freak goal. It was like a deflection yeah. off somebody and went in for a clearance. Um, and then Jamie had to make a couple of decent saves after that to to, to obviously see us through. But no, I, we felt the same as you in the stand. It was like, like praying for the whistle, but then looking up thinking, wow, there's 10 minutes to go here. But once the final whistle goes, it's relief all round. Um, Chris Clark, one of the guys you've just talked about there, Gav, who had run himself into the ground, and Chris explains just his emotions as the final whistle goes. You know, it was backs to the wall in the second <laughs> half, and, Jay, and Jamie made some outstanding saves. Um, but the lot of us, it was a big pitch, and I can remember just, you know, we're just running, chasing the ball, and you're working so hard. And... Uh, yeah, I can remember just falling on my knees at the final whistle. I've never, I think that's what, uh, you know, I, I was so tired uh, just, from, just from chasing, hanging on. Yeah. Um, but just that feeling, that knowing that you've, you've got through to the to the groups was just was just huge. Um, and it was really good that we're up to all the all the uh, tactics. I mean, the, the night before, we're, we're train, you get obviously training in the stadium and they, they were burning tyres uh, outside the, the ground okay. right as we started to, to begin training. So it was very difficult, um, you know the smell. You could, you know, it was hitting the back of the throat. Yeah, and yeah, it was it was the old sort of tactics. And then obviously when we won the match, going to the airport, a lot of Aberdeen fans, and yeah, they were making it difficult for us to get home on a charter flight. It was you know, a bit of a delay, but no one was caring. You know, it was it was just an exciting time ahead, and and looking forward to the to the draw. Now, a man I think who always enjoys a party, Lee Miller. Let's let's see what he had to say about the celebrations after the game. I'm imagining big celebrations in the dressing room after that one. Can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, can't remember. That's a, that's a yes then. That's a yes. I just we were just going mad. We just we couldn't believe it. Um, we're delighted. Um, and just everything about it was just a real gutsy performance. Um, to get us there. And just to round things off, Barry Nicholson here, just with his final recollections of that evening in the Ukraine. Really good celebrations after the game. I remember the, it's like having the running track around the pitch and Aberdeen yeah. fans were in the back of the goal and stuff. It was, it was really good. Jimmy was ecstatic at the end of that. He was, I think he was so proud that um, we'd managed to, to knock a team of that quality out and obviously we were then looking forward to some massive games coming up. So then, Gav, one round to get in to the group stages. The Dons into a group stage of Europe for the very first time and landing a group in the draw of Panathinaikos, Lokomotiv Moscow, Atletico Madrid and Copenhagen. A five-team group back in these days with three teams qualifying, each team only playing each other once though. what were you, Can you remember what were your kind of thoughts when the draw is made and, and that's the, f what would that be? What, what How would you, the quintet? The quintet. Um... Or the quartet we are drawn against. Sorry, uh, the the immediate thought was, well, I mean, I'm not sure this was the thought because like, now we look back on it, the fixtures were rearranged. They were. That's right. Um, yeah. I think remember being excited about the idea that we're going to play Atletico. 
because they had a really good team at that time. Um, a lot of superstar players. Uh, you definitely got the impression that we couldn't have basically drawn a harder group. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, these are all teams that were quite routinely playing Champions League football at this time of the season. And instead, they're going to come against Aberdeen in the UEFA Cup. It was um, challenging, but it was also, you know, it's the reason you want to be in these in these competitions is to play the best teams. So it was exciting as well. It's probably worth, isn't it, right now, just taking a step back for a minute and actually looking at these teams and looking at where they kind of were in their respective histories at the point at which we, we drew them here. So let's, let's take a quick look at Panathinaikos. So they finished third in the Greek Super League the season prior, which was meant, which is why they ended up in the UEFA Cup. Um, they were also runners up in the Greek Cup to AEL. Qualified out of the group eventually, they, they finished runners up to Atletico in the group. They were beaten by Rangers, actually, ironically, in the last 32 on away goals. They went on to finish third again in the Greek Super League that season, but they did secure qualification for the Champions League for the following campaign through their playoffs, making it to the Champions League group stages and then topped a group including Inter Milan, eventually knocked out by Villarreal in the round of 16. So no mugs, it's fair to say. Lokomotiv Moscow, a squad with a number of recognisable players now, the likes of Branislav, Ivanovic, Denier, Belenetnov, and Peter Odenwingi, the obvious names that jump out. They'd finished the prior season in third spot in the Russian Premier League. And as you say, Gav, also had plenty of Champions League experience recently prior to that. Atletico Madrid, probably the team that jumped out the most out of the group. Although they'd actually finished seventh in La Liga the, the season prior to this, eventually qualifying for the UEFA Cup only by coming through the Intertotal Cup. Remember that? The Intertotal Cup. Won the group, eventually knocked it by Bolton Wanderers though in the round of 32. Uh, but they did finish fourth in La Liga that campaign, securing Champions League qualification in the end. And then Copenhagen, winners of the Danish Superliga the season prior. They dropped into the UEFA Cup after losing in qualifying round three of the Champions League to Benfica. They'd beaten Manchester United in the group stages of the Champions League the season prior and had also beaten Celtic at home as well. They went on that season to finish third in Denmark, which would have been a, a disappointing campaign, I imagine, overall for Copenhagen. But these are, you know, household names when it comes to European football. And as you say, you're right, the initial draw had us travelling to Moscow and also travelling to Copenhagen with home ties against Panathinaikos and Atletico Madrid before these games were flipped around in order to avoid Spartak Moscow and Lokomotiv Moscow playing at home on the same day. So we ended up opening the campaign in Athens, Lokomotiv then taking the trip to the northeast of Scotland, an away day in Madrid, and then rounding out the group with Copenhagen at home. So first up was what appeared on the face of it to be a pretty daunting trip to Greece. Not much time for the Dons to really ready themselves either uh, with this one. A 4-0 home win against St. Mirren and then a 2-1 away win at Cali helping us prepare. But you'd imagine an away trip to Cali perhaps not really best suited to lining up for what you were expecting to be an intimidating atmosphere in Athens. Yeah, I mean, this is also a time where I can just think of many English teams would draw, you know, whether it's Panathinaikos or Olympiakos in Europe and going to Greece always seemed difficult. Um, yeah, this was um, when the fixtures were flipped. Initially, my thought process was that we had not benefited from that. Hmm. Don's lining up for this one with Langfield and goals, a back line of Hart, McNamara, Diamond and Considine, Severin, Nicholson, Young, Foster and Clark along the midfield with Lee Miller all on his lonesome up top. A typically boozy away support for the Don's. A very, very quiet home support as it turned out. The, the, this was not a tie that appeared to really tickle the fancy of the average Panathinaikonian. Um <laughs> 
and one of these performances a little bit of an odd one like, i don't think we played badly on the night but it just felt like we were kind of really outclassed i think in one hand from start to finish chris clark has a really good chance to open scoring for us four minutes in but that's kind of about the highlight gumas puts the greeks a goal up after 11 minutes Constantine with a foul and Endoy, Ivan shits with a brilliant ball in here and Gumas nods past Lanfield from only six yards. And it's probably a real lesson learned in Europe, I think. Somehow we're only a goal down at half time before there's a quick fire double from the home side in the final third of the game. First sees Papadopoulos capitalising on a mistake from Jackie fucking McNamara to fire past Langfield before Mayer then conceded a free kick about 25 yards. Even shits efforts saved by Langfield, but Sal Gidis following up to make it three um it felt like a bit of a reality check didn't it? and uh, and we needed to learn lessons quickly about what this level of european football was all about i think the expression is there's levels to this shit <laughs> and yeah panathinaikos were i remember them just being a, a good team um and you know we had obviously you look through the aberdeen starting 11 it's clear that our goal is to try and get a draw out of this game uh so when we go one one nil down it then becomes a question of do we have the quality within there to to get a goal back? Um, even then with the best will of the world, just the players that were in that team, you know, we didn't even have like many players that were really great at set pieces. Mm. So it's not as though we could like try and get something from there. Um, yeah, a difficult night and set us up. Uh, it gave us you definitely got the an impression of the size of the task we had if we were gonna have any chance at all of getting out of that group. I draw at Falkirk. Followed by wins over Inverness Cali, 4-1 in the League Cup, a home win over Dundee United by two goals. And we'll see just kind of stabilising things domestically now before the visit of Locomotive Moscow to the pit on a desperately, desperately cold evening at the home of football. The Dons in our away strip as Moscow lined up in their green and red half-and-half kits. Caldwell going with the starting eleven of Langfield, Hart, Diamond, Constantine, Ricky Foster, Scott Seven, Barry Nicholson, Derek Young and Chris Clark supporting... Shawnee Luko and Lee Miller up top. Locomotive with the likes of, we touched on them earlier on, Ivanovic, Billy Netanov and Odin Vingi in their starting 11 as just over 18,000 braved the cold. And we're rewarded with what was on the face of it, a, a decent performance, I think, by Aberdeen. Moscow probably with the better of the opening stages before we grew into the game. Tremendous counter-attack after Chris Clark had cleared off the line, so Luko denied for a corner kick before Barry Nicholson swings in a corner, which was met by Xander Diamond, to put the Dons a goal up. Nicholson across the head of the Xander Diamond! Chris Clark off the line at one end. Xander Diamond rattles it into the head in the other. Pitoji comes alive! The Dons then start to have the better of the play, but the warning signs were there. Sychev hitting one off the post before the Dons conceded. Right on half time. Ivanovic heading past Langfield from a corner. And at that point, I don't know about you, Gav, I was kind of feeling the worst because having got a goal up, it was just such a massive, massive blow to concede right there on halftime, wasn't it? I don't know if I had the capacity to be concerned about things like the football <laughs> at that moment. I think I was just trying to retain feeling in my ex- extremities. Uh, yeah, I, I felt like we played pretty well, but then obviously they we get the go-ahead and then I think they get a little bit annoyed perhaps and... Put their foot on the gas a little bit and yeah you could see that again locomotive were, were a half decent team uh i think yeah i probably when i when i got past the feeling of whether my feet were still attached <laughs> shared the same concerns um i don't yeah billy Netlanov and odin wingy you know they were two players that i knew of probably much as i do football manager 
um, as much as anything. But yeah, you knew that they had good players, and it was just about whether we could have the character to then come back from from conceding that equalizer. And the visitors probably had the better start to the second half, as I remember Aberdeen then kind of growing into the game again. Miller with a snapshot that was blocked on 74 minutes. The Don's nearly throwing it away, though, right at the end with a pure clearance from Diamond that let Locomotive back in. But Langfield dealing with it well. The game kind of ended with Moscow camped out in the Don's half, but we managed to hold it out, finish 1-1. It felt again to like an opportunity missed, perhaps. And it really felt at that point that our hopes of progressing out of the group was were hanging by a thread, it's fair to say. Yeah, I think with the best will in the world, no one expected us to go to Madrid and get a result. And at that point, it seemed crazy talk that you could maybe, best case scenario, finish the group with four points and qualify into the knockout stage. Next up, as you just say, Gav, it's a trip to Madrid. The one that I think the majority of supporters had earmarked for travelling to when the group uh, was drawn, I'm sure, the day after the locomotive game saw... Hundreds of Aberdeen fans, ourselves included, camped out in the Richard Donald stand overnight for tickets for the trip to Madrid because the initial allocation we'd been provided by the Spaniards was rumoured to be in the 1,000 to 1,500 mark. We'd already booked our flights and everything to go to to Madrid prior to, uh, it was just after the draw had been made. Quite a night locked inside the Richard Donald stand, as I recall. Fucking mental. <laughs> like for anyone that wasn't there or maybe can't recall, it was so cold. Apotodry, where we played locomotive. It was. And the crazy. forecast was exactly the same. We started out queuing outside Potodry. Yeah. It was only like an hour, hour and a half into that of us being there that they made the decision to bring us all into the RDS for the evening. Um, Why we had to do that, I don't understand. <laughs> totally. was, it, was it fun? I think the novelty wore off pretty early. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> scooping some cans i mean this is pre-craft beer day so i think the choice of alcohol was not exactly sophisticated the toilets at both ends of the stand were out of commission within about an hour and then of course you you know you get to the morning and they hand you a ticket and say okay here's your number we'll call you up like couldn't have done that last night yeah i know i still for this still to this day don't understand why they just didn't go up the queue hand out everybody a voucher and then said come back down tomorrow morning we'll we'll get the you guys in first of all and you know number order whatever done and dusted i don't, still don't understand why they end up doing what they, what they did and then just to top it off it was completely pointless anyway because atletico ended up giving us about six thousand tickets i think in the end and you could have picked up a ticket on the day in madrid but never mind and excuse at least we can all say i say all at least we can say we've we've camped out in the richard Donstan overnight in an entirely pointless venture Camped out, did not sleep a wink. No. <laughs> that was just absolutely no danger that was happening. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like prisoners of war have gone through less. <laughs> Two defeats in the league after the game against Locomotive. A 4-1 defeat at Tynecastle. Uh, I think Jeffrey DeVisher scored in that one, didn't he? And a 3-0 defeat at Parkhead. Perhaps not the best warm-up for the trip to the Vicente Calderon. It didn't give you the impression that we were going to go ahead and play a different caliber of team and come away with a positive result god we really struggled this first half of the season yeah we really did we really really did um and it's fair to say on arrival in the spanish capital it was an interesting couple of days ahead of the game um yeah i don't want to offend any potential madridonians that could be listening to this podcast but i did not really care for madrid <laughs> no, I've been back since as well, and I'm not a big fan of it. To be fair, um, I do remember it was quite exciting getting there, and like I think we 
kind of found our hotel or wherever it was we were staying and getting to one of the big squares that had the kind of football, the fan zone. And I remember like a ball again, get kicked around about like you say about 6,000 people and going into someone's balcony. And I think they decided to just keep the ball because they were fed up with us. Yeah. And then a bunch Dopey of us water just, in the fountains. Exactly. And then a bunch of us just uh, marching on mass and finding a Real Madrid club shop and just chanting two, one to the Aberdeen, an empty club shop. Yep. Two, one to the Aberdeen. Joe Harper being poured in a taxi. Oh yeah, of course I. And then uh, of course, meeting up with um, our man in Spain. Yes, that's right. Yes, the first interactions that we had with with Mister Hunter, of course, um, that evening, it was it was it was one of those trips, wasn't it? It was it was a bit odd because there was always a little bit of an edge to the whole couple of days because of the sheer number of like pickpocketing and stuff that was going on. I remember as well, so many Aberdeen fans who had not actually thought about what the weather would actually be like in Madrid in November. They clearly just thought it's Madrid, it's Spain, it'll be warm, and so many Aberdeen fans rattling around in shorts and t-shirts, absolutely freezing. Um. Yeah, from what I remember, it was okay during the day, but as soon as the sun went yeah. down, that was, yeah. It was it was pretty nippy. Day of the game, or was it the day before the, the Burnabout trip? The poor sod in the Burnabout trophy room having to listen to countless Aberdeen fans just asking where the 1983 Cup winner's cut was on I mean, the way you, through. You say trophy room in the Burnabout. They've dedicated a stand to everything. <laughs> no Cup winner's cup, though. Nope, nope, and only only nine Champions Leagues at that point, if I remember rightly. <laughs> that sounds about right. Um, and then, yeah, the day of the game itself, out, out to the Vicente, look, again, a wee bit of edge about the whole thing. Um, I think we missed some of the trouble because we were in the ground already, being able to look out onto the streets to see some interesting tactics from the, uh, the Garda Civil, shall we say. Taking a step back, I remember we got off the train uh, off the at the train station, like the closest one, and you had to walk past for, I don't know, it probably wasn't that far, but it felt like a little bit of distance. And you had to walk through all the kind of Atletico Madrid supporters pubs on the way to the ground. And then you kind of recognize the Vicente Calderon is not quite what you think it is. No, it's really not. Um, it's quite industrial. <laughs> That's been very polite. It's a bit of a shithole. It's pretty run down. Yeah. when you get there actually and yeah i think for me i think it was just more that there was a sense of tension just because of the nature of the trip up to that point but then we get inside you know and it's, it's time for the game and we sample i remember sampling some cervezas which turned out to be non-alcoholic and having one of the most disgusting ham and cheese rolls i've ever eaten <laughs> in my life and then obviously that's when we were because we were in very very early to soak up the atmosphere and that's when we start hearing that there's shits going on outside that's right, yeah. And yeah. because and of the can, way the because the way the calderon yeah. is, you can see to the outside from inside. And I think I remember seeing that a scooter was on fire and thinking, <laughs> right, well, this could be tasty. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Could Absolutely. be the night of it here. Which was then made it really weird because I remember then I think it was a half time I went for a pee and I went down the stairs and um there was like literally no segregation at all either inside the stadium. It was really odd, like given what had been happening outside, given the police's evident heavy-handedness about dealing with anything that could even be deemed to be a potential flashpoint very odd um anyway uh, on to the football this is a ridiculously good atletico madrid side at this point um including the likes of thiago mota diogo forlan had just joined them from Villarreal after you know really impressing there after he'd left manchester united did maxi rodriguez jose antonio reyes you had a young Sergio Aguero lying in wait for the Dons. 
I don't know about you. I was a bit anxious about this one. Uh, I was looking forward to getting to see these players as well, but also worrying about what they could possibly do to us. Oh, I mean, you can keep going with that. I mean, there's there's <laughs> there's Simo, there's there's Luis yeah. Garcia, uh, post post Liverpool, pre Liverpool, pre Liverpool, um, post Liverpool, post Liverpool. Anyway, well, you you knew that these were this was a really really good team. There was no doubt about it, and um, it could. As much as it's just great to get to see these players, you don't also want to see us get humiliated by them. No, exactly. Let's say, let's hear what Lee Miller had to say um, from his thoughts in the camp pre-match. I loved it. I, I absolutely loved it. Everything about it. Um, I quite liked see with the European games where you get to train in the stadium the night before. Yeah. I loved that. I loved that. Getting used to that and just soaking it all in before obviously the fans come in and stuff but no the atmosphere that night and I always remember it to the day is the sound of Spanish fans celebrating a goal is totally different yeah. from anywhere I've ever experienced it was a pure they said it yeah it's goal it was like proper whoa this is cool man <laughs> it's visceral isn't it it's like that oh it was yeah. it was it was really really good to be involved in that, I, I loved it. Obviously, we get beat, but I loved everything about it. Just being involved in it. The pitch was like an ice rink. You just you put a pass. If you didn't hit it exactly where you wanted to hit it, it was shooting off. And you just, and you watch your Messi's, Ronaldo's, and all that playing on these pitches, and they're just inch perfect. Every, every cushion touch. See if you took a slightly bad touch on these pitches, the ball was away. The ball was absolutely miles away from you and you looked like a terrible player. But see training on it the night before, it was like, whoa, getting used to it. And obviously you're used to it in the game and stuff and that, that's obviously why they do that. But even playing with the Nike footballs and that, everything was just, it was just cool, man. <laughs> Aye, those touches, that's just like watching me at goals on a Thursday night, <laughs> to be honest. The Don's lining up without Barry Nicholson. Uh, due to illness for this one. He was replaced by Kareem Tuzani in the centre of the park as Aberdeen lined up with Lionfield and goals. A back four of Hart, Richie Byrne, it's the first time we've mentioned him so far, Xander Diamond and Jackie fucking McNamara. Tuzani, Severin, Young and Foster making up the midfield with Jamie Smith tucked in behind Lee Miller. Barry Nicholson was a huge player for Aberdeen, wasn't he, when he was here, Gav? And um, it was a bit of a surprise, I think, for most of us entering the stadium that night to see he wasn't in the team through illness. Um, let's just see what Barry had to say and pick up on kind of his disappointment missing out on this one. And he also touches on Jimmy Caldwell's tactics heading into to this game. I travelled. Um, I travelled on the plane and on the flight over. I was in like turmoil. Like I don't know. It must have been a sickness bug or a stomach bug. So I was really, really struggling on the flight. Got to the hotel. Um, went, I got my own room. Usually you pay up. Usually I'd be savvy, I think. Um, but got my own room. And then we trained in the stadium that night and I was joined in the warm-up and I was like jogging in the stadium and it came back to the tunnel and I just went off back up the tunnel, like back on the toilet. So um yeah, I was really so I was I sat, I think I sat, I think it was named on the bench, but I was really struggling in that game. I could, I could never have got on. But the, the one thing about that game was Jimmy, all Jimmy's uh, plans and team talk was about the first 20 minutes of the game. Like if we can get through the first 20 minutes of the game. Keep the crowd quiet. We'll, we've got a real good chance here. And I can remember taking, they, they took centre. They played a diagonal pass to Maxi Rodriguez. He shifted it and he volleyed it off the post after about 15 seconds. And the crowd were going mental. And I was just thinking, wow, we, we were yeah. supposed to keep them quiet for 20 minutes. 
of course, I think, as we said, the large away support, we're expecting a tough evening. Um, the Spaniards straight out the traps. Luis Garcia going close in the opening minutes before Pernia hits the post on three minutes. Before we kind of started to settle into the game a little bit, probably Kareem Tuzani's finest 90 minutes in an Aberdeen shirt, I'd suggest. Yeah, I'm sure when Baranik was, we learned that he wasn't playing. And of course, this is kind of pre smartphone pre-social media so we didn't necessarily know why he was uh, not playing but you figure that there must be uh, he's not just been dropped out of the squad there's got to be a reason for it uh, Karim I think showed what he was all about um, I'm sure when Andy Murray saw that he was playing he probably started sh- shivering because we all know how much Andy <laughs> Murray hates Karim Tuzani jokes hmm. we've never had him clarify his position on Karim Tuzani actually we need to add that to the agenda next time we speak to him uh, True. But yeah, yeah, he was he was good. He was he was very good. Probably a night where you start to think why we don't play him more. <laughs> exactly. Um, Don's looking fairly comfortable in that first half, despite losing Jackie McNamara and Jamie Smith both to injury in that first half. Now again, the the the, the cynic of me would suggest that Jackie McNamara just continually seemed to shit a little bit when the to- when the going got tough. They were replaced by Chris Clark and Jeffrey Devisher respectively, and it. Looked as though we'd managed to make it through to halftime with the scores level before a cute ball through by Mota found Aguero. He managed to tow the ball just beyond the despairing Michael Hart who could only bring down the Argentinian. Diego Forlan stepping up to send Jamie Lanfield the wrong way from the spot kick. After the break, though, again, we kind of did well to settle things down without creating very much before Forlan, as you might recall, Gav, fell under quite a soft challenge from Hart about 30 yards from goal. It's fair to say we got very, very little from UEFA referees during the course of this campaign. Um, and that's an in-joke between you and Graham, of course. For crushingly, Simao's free kick hits the post, bounces off the back of Langfield's noggin, and in. And that's how it finished. What was a kind of spirited performance is probably best to say. It felt almost like a very Scottish national team performance, didn't it? Lots of energy, lots of desire, very disciplined, but just not quite getting over the line with it. Not to be... And we finish up that round of fixtures now, having played three, won none, drawn one, lost two, only one point on the board, bottom of the group. Um, It felt as though that was probably us, didn't it? Despite what had been an encouraging performance, if nothing else. Yeah, I mean, I I remember that night, we had an opportunity in the first half when, I can't remember who puts the ball across, I think Foster nearly gets it, and that could have made it, I think that could have made it 1-0 actually. Would have made it 1-0, yeah. yeah. Um, And then, you know, you never know, because I thought we played really well against this superstar team, and it was just a very uncharacteristic, rash moment of defending from Michael Hart that uh, costs us. Who dealt with Aguero quite well up to that point as well, as I remember. Excellent. We, we, Aguero was very much the next big thing in football at that time. And I thought Michael Hart had a great game until that moment. Um, and then, yeah, like you say, Seamus free kick is um, fortunate for them, unfortunate for us, obviously bouncing off the back of Langfield's head. I don't think maybe not having quite recognized the pattern of results and the potential permutations going into the last uh, fixtures. Again, I couldn't see how a team that have picked up one point from three can possibly qualify from a group. So yeah, it was it was it, like you say, it was spirited. Uh, Aberdeen fans were in, in very good voice that night. Yeah, what you learned is that there is a difference. I think Lee Miller talks about this. There's a difference when a Spanish team scores and the the cheer. Mm. Not that 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 was quite interesting to be a part of. Um, but then also my attention then just turned to okay, so game's over. Uh, we're getting locked in. All right, so there's 40,000 Atletico fans waiting for us now. Cool. 
Yeah, in fairness, they kind of dispersed by the time we got back on uh, the oh, back on underground. They, they were they not cursed. No, no. Um, memories, of, I guess, of the underground on the way back up to the city centre of Madrid. The the poor Spanish sod across the across the platform who had a vaguely similar appearance to Willie Miller in that he had a moustache. He had a moustache, um, and having I don't know what felt like five thousand Aberdeen fans on that platform, which can't, of course, have been the case, but it felt like it. Um, singing one Willie Miller to him for quite a period of time. A great trip overall with putting to one side the kind of issues that there were around kind of pickpocketing and stuff. I know that that did put a lot of um, a dampener on a lot of people's trip for that one, but great stuff. The the, the weird thing now is, of course, because it was a five-team group, um, you missed a week in the fixtures at some point. We missed the next round of fixtures, which saw Locomotive Moscow travel to Greece and Copenhagen hosted Atletico Madrid. Now, I think... From recollection, I can't remember exactly when this happened, but at some point during the run-up to those games, I think there came a realisation that actually, if both Moscow and Copenhagen lose in those fixtures, then it becomes effectively a knockout shootout between ourselves and Copenhagen about who could qualify. And we were, Graham and I were at a gig at Mishulu that night. I don't think you were there, Gav, that night. Um, 5th of December 2007. We, we keep on trying to remember who it was. I'm going to say it was Idlewild. And, and sure enough, goals from Simao and Aguero secure a 2-0 win for Atletico in Denmark. A double from Sapangidis means that Panathinaikos saw off Moscow by two goals to nil. That was Lokomotiv finished in the group. They'd played all four of their games at that point. Suddenly, suddenly, it was all to play for once again. Uh, according to the interwebs, it was sons and daughters you went to see. Oh, well, there we go. That could be right. Sons and Daughters, UK Tour, Mashulu, Wednesday, 5th of December, 2007. Well, there we go. Would they have been headlining themselves? In Mashulu, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. yeah, possibly. Yeah, good check. Well, there we go. That's the answer. Lovely. I've been look- I've looked for that for ages. Never mind. Clearly never typed Mashulu Aberdeen, 5th of December, 2007 into Google. Well, I thought I had. Never mind. Anyway, um, yeah. Suddenly, out of nowhere, this was all to play for all of a sudden. Comes a shootout, doesn't it? Yeah. We, we knew- Now we know what we have to do. And it's quite simple. We just have to win the game. And that wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ FP. Thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow, or whatever you may do on your podcast player of choice. Join us next week for episode 114 of the show, where Graham and I will talk about whatever there is that happens over the course of the week. And then we'll bring you part two of our deep dive into the 2007-2008 UEFA Cup campaign in the company of Barry Nick, Chris Clark, and Lee Miller. We look forward to seeing you then. Stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's. £4 pint of Moretti or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week including match days Siberia is open 7 days a week all year round and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days come on you Reds